Hello and welcome to Subclass Act, solo role-playing actual play podcast. I'm your host, James Schrall. And welcome back, y'all. It's time for another episode. So, uh, this episode, we are going to get back into the story. Uh, first, I'm going to respond to some call, uh, call-ins from... Calls in? Collins. It sounds weird either way. I'm going to respond to Jason, and then I'm going to respond to an email, a wonderful email that I got, uh, and then we're going to get rolling back into the story. I've decided, I I kind of deliberated on which system to use this time, because I've gone through most of them that I have um, in one form or another between season one and the the interlude uh, kind of one-shots and with the anniversary one-shot. So I've played most of the systems I've got, um, except for Pathfinder 2E, which is uh, newer to me, so I'm not uh, ready to run it on the podcast yet. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go back to 5E, um, to the initial character. There's some some stuff I want to dive into and explore uh, since uh, the character went up to level 2, and I was planning already, regardless of the system, to level Thorin up to level 3 for the next part of the adventure so I can ramp up the crazy scale. And there's some stuff in 5E that'll be really cool at level 3, Barbarians get some pretty cool stuff at that point. I thought about doing Dungeon World since I only did one episode for Dungeon World, and I really, really like that game. Just like all of them. I love all of these games. But I just, you know what? I felt like playing some 5e, so that's what we're going to do. But first, let's get to the Collins. All right, so first up, I want to respond to an email I got um, from Michael Wilster, and it says, uh, another great episode in Durf might be worth giving a run. There's a lot of power using a d6 for random encounters and as an oracle. You can set the odds based on events at hand and not have to look up anything. An oracle should not be complicated, so you can just roll and move forward. This is why I like using a d6 for a straightforward answer to my questions. Have a great day and can't wait for the next episodes. Well, Michael, thank you so much. And honestly, it really makes my day to know that people enjoy the episodes. Um, And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I like to use mythic i like to use motif and these different ones that are more complicated but sometimes i just don't want that and to be honest if you're if that's a barrier for somebody getting into solo play i would encourage you to just do exactly that use a d6 you know set the odds if it's 50 50 you can do high low or even odds if you want um you know otherwise it's just a blank and six chance a one and six chance if it's you know, if it's almost a sure thing, make it a five and six chance. But maybe on that six, man, something weird happens. Or um, as I do later in this episode, uh, if you roll a one, you know, maybe that's when you have a random encounter. I think it's something that you can take from OSR games and you can really use it for any games. Um, so, yeah, totally. You, there's definitely if you need more structure, there's more structured oracles, but never let the oracle get in the way of the structure. Um, yeah, as far as Durf, uh, like I, I'll say with Jason and the uh, upcoming um, responses, but yeah, Durf is just so cool and awesome. I think um, that it's, it's just a really well done game. Uh, so yeah, definitely give it a run, especially if you have a one shot. It's so easy to make it your own. It's got such good flavor in it, in my opinion. Can't go wrong. And again, I'm just so glad you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much, Michael. Hey, James, Jason here. Let me address a couple of questions you posed. What are you doing with your life? You're being awesome, man. You're putting out awesome games and awesome podcasts, awesome actual plays. You're running awesome games on the Audio Dungeon, from what I can tell, even though I've not been fortunate enough to be in one. So, yeah, keep on keeping on, my friend. Uh, what else? Sci-fi instead of fantasy. I love sci-fi. I, I wish there was more sci-fi out there. I wish I got to play in more sci-fi. I um, play in fantasy because that's what everybody wants to play, and 
So those are the games that we end up playing, but I'd much prefer to play other games, to be honest. I'd, I, I don't mind playing fantasy now, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining that there's fantasy out there, but yeah, I wish there was a little more. And I wish it was more space fantasy, right? I, I want to play Gamma World. I want to play Star Frontiers. I want to play more silly stuff. I don't want to play hard sci-fi, serious stuff, but that's just Jason. Keep up the great work. Hey, thanks, Jason. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I guess I have been doing some stuff, uh, making some games and stuff. I, I just recently published a short adventure for Derf um, that's free on my itch page that is the Never Nexus um, yeah, I, the, the only thing from that list that I haven't been doing um, awesome is, is up for debate, whether or not that stuff is awesome. But uh, the, I, I haven't actually been able to host those games yet on the Auto Detention Discord. Usually I've posted them in the last minute when another game has fallen through. Uh, and because of that, I am dropping it on people the last minute. I haven't able to, been able to get one together. So you haven't missed anything yet. Um, so we'll definitely schedule some games. I'm, I'm hoping to, at some point, uh, run either a Nova's and Nebulae game or a uh, classic traveler or, or similar game, maybe Cepheus Light, um, uh, soon. So that'll be sci-fi, and I'm hoping to do that with people on the Audio Dungeon Discord. So you haven't missed it yet, uh, and I'm hopefully going to make that happen soon. Yeah, and, and for for science fiction and science fantasy, I, I guess, are, are things that I really, really like. And I, I agree with you on the silly stuff. It's one of the reasons I love Troika, and... I like having serious moments as much as the next person, but my my particular favorite formula to do that um, is to try to aim for one of my favorite things, which is uh, Adventure Time, uh, which isn't everybody's cup of tea, but I, I really like it because you can be silly and kind of fun and zany, and um, you know, but then you can have your serious moments in there, and I think they're more impactful that way. It's not everybody's you know flavor. I find myself in my own game sometimes taking things too seriously. And then I like to shake it up. So my 5e campaign, I have amoeboids as a uh, as a playable uh, species and stuff like that. So yeah, I like to mix it up, have fun, let it be weird. Uh, that's actually why I actually that campaign when it's coming to an end soon. I think what we decided to play next is we're going to play Starfinder, um, which I didn't expect to like when I was first hearing about it. And then I looked into it, and it's in my opinion, it's awesome as long as you like that kind of a system. Uh, it turns out. We very much do, and it's super fun for us, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, and it has its science fantasy. So if we're feeling more of a fantasy vibe one day, you can do that. Um, if you want it to be more science fiction, it's there. Um, I've never played Star Frontiers or had access to that, but it sounds, uh, Starfinder, at least in spirit, sounds kind of like when people talk about Star Frontiers, what I hear from that. So yeah, I'm super into that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I like watching hard sci-fi and stuff like that with the expand and uh, expanse and things like that. But it just, I don't know, it doesn't stick out to me as being super fun to play because it just has to be taken so seriously. And I know that people are into that. And so I'm not knocking it, but it's not for me either. So I, I totally understand what you're saying there. I like to be a little bit zany. Uh, I've always wanted to try some index card RPG for sci-fi as well because the warp shell setting, which I mean, obviously you can easily reskin to any setting, anytime and index card which is one of the the strengths of it but uh yeah I, it just has the warp shell setting included has this cool just cool weird sci-fi vibes i'm very into that and into uh mass effect which i wouldn't call super serious either that's more in the sort of science fantasy kind of a thing so yeah i'm with you actually i've been watching on that subject i've been watching star trek lower decks recently uh, as recommended to me by uh, the other people in my uh, Star Trek Adventures game that I'm a player in. And 
I, I didn't know what to think about Lower Decks, but it is so good. They started out saying like it was a bad thing, like oh, it starts out as Rick and Morty, but start uh, Star Trek, but it you know ends up being good. And I was like, man, Rick and Morty Star Trek, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so maybe that makes a little bit more sense of the weird stuff that I do on the show because I, you know, I love Adventure Time and regular show and Rick and Morty and but also Star Trek and Star Wars and all this weird stuff. And so it's just a giant hodgepodge. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you there. I want there to be more sci-fi. There's some other sci-fi games I've always wanted to check out, like Uncharted Worlds, which is supposed to be kind of like Dungeon World, but sci-fi. And I think there's Impulse Drive, which is along the same vein. Yeah, I've never played GURPS or anything like that. Uh, Genesis, obviously, because I've always wanted to try more Star, uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire and Age of the Rebellion. So all kinds of cool stuff there. Wish it was more common, but, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Hey, James, Jason here. Paused here to answer your question about Durf and the hit dice and how that works. I think that's interesting. Very neat. It kind of reminds me of chain mail, the idea you're either dead or you're not. I don't know if you listen to Daniel Norton's Bandits Keep podcast, but he's been messing around with chain mail, and chain mail kind of works the same way. So very cool. Let, let me get back to listening. That's great news about a new member of your party arriving soon. Look forward to that joyous announcement. Really enjoyed Durf. I, th- I think you did a great job there. It is a good fit for your show. Very interesting mechanics. I'm definitely looking forward to you doing In the Heart of the Land of the Wizard of Oz, Goblin Henchman's Hex Flower Sandbox System Neutral Procedural. I said that all go- goobered up, didn't I? His System Neutral Procedural Sandbox Hex Flower Base Setting. Something like that. Anyway, I definitely look forward to hearing you do that. I think it would be a good fit for your show. I, th- I think that's going to be great. Um, really enjoying the show, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. So take care. Have a Merry Christmas, and I will talk to you soon. By the way, after I listened to the play, after I listened to the combat, the way Durf does the hit dice is definitely different than Chainmail. Chainmail is just straight up. You're hit or you, you die or you're not, and you don't accumulate wounds in chain mail. It's either, you know, either they do enough damage to kill you or they don't. It's, it, you know, so, so it's a binary one or the other. I do like the way Durf does it. I think that's interesting. I think that's for an RPG at the table, you know, an ongoing game, I think that makes more sense. Chain mails definitely make sense for a war game because there's less to track. You're not having to track, oh, this one has three wounds and this one has five wounds and things like that, you know, in the middle of a war game. But for an RPG, I think what Durf is doing is very interesting there. I'll definitely have to get online and download one, a copy of it. So thank you for pointing it out and sharing it with us. Yeah, thanks. The uh, new member of the party should be here really in the next few days, next few weeks. Hard to know. Uh, but yeah, very exciting. Um, yeah, Durf is very cool. I am super glad that I found that. It's probably going to be one of my go-tos for whenever I need to run a one-shot or I just want to make something zany and fun that's, you know, yeah, I think it's really what it's for, zany and fun. I think the chainmail comparison is interesting. I I have not listened to Daniel's podcast yet. It's been on my ever-growing list of things that I want to check out, Uh, but I I, I have seen that he's been using chainmail with OD&D and stuff like that. I think it's really cool. I'm actually just starting to get into the whole, I, I've mentioned it a couple times in the podcast, but I'm just starting to get interested in the whole wargaming aspect of things. Cause I have never done that. I had a friend, I probably mentioned a million times on the show already, but I had a friend who growing up who 
did Warhammer and Warhammer 40k, all of which I think are now the, the exact lines that he had back then, I think are all well past, like they don't support them anymore, which is super lame. Anyway, that's a whole thing that I won't get into, but, um, but I always wished I could have done it. It was just too expensive. Um, so I'm trying to dabble into that on the cheap. So I, I, I know you've mentioned before one page rule. So I've been, you know, picking those up. I got space goons, which has a solo thing in it. And then I have on a uh, Colin, uh, spike pit greens, um, recommendation dragon rampant. So I've got all that stuff printed out some paper minis, um, that I got on drive through RPG for the one page rule stuff. That's everything you need. So I, I'm just trying to dabble in that. I bring it up only because I think that the, um, the war game connection is interesting to me because, uh, yeah, I know the hobby comes out of that, but it's something I wasn't exposed to for a while. And, you know, I like so many different kinds of games. Like I like the narrative games like fake core and, uh, dungeon world and, you know, uh, games that are in the powered by the apocalypse vein monster of the week, of course. But I also turns out really like being able to dig into the more tactical stuff. And my group does uh, seem to enjoy that as well. Um, so, which I wasn't expecting for myself. So, uh, as I've been trying to dig dig into that, I I'm interested to see how um, how some of the various war game takes when applied to RPGs can um, where, where kind of where the the line blurs between the two. I think sometimes that you know uh, people criticize. 5e maybe but also starfinder pathfinder like pathfinder 2 as kind of being too too board gamey or war gamey um and i guess that's a negative for some people but i mean my group loves board games and has an interest in the tactical side of things so uh, i think it's like that can be a plus and i think it's kind of cool uh, i so i kind of want to dabble into that because there's also as i've noticed some rpgs that are popping up or not rpgs sorry um, war games that are specifically popping up that are more narrative. And, and one of the ones that I'm most interested in is called five parsecs from home. I think they also have a, uh, five, what is it? Five leagues from the borderlands or something like that. And it, the idea is, is that comes from the kind of the opposite end. So it's solo, at least for, at least for that group of games, they're solo, uh, war games so five parsecs anyways it seems like you have a crew kind of very in a firefly kind of a way or you know fit in star the starfinder kind of world easily i think um you have a crew you're just trying to you know do jobs get by you roll up patrons this sounds kind of like classic traveler in that way as well but yeah you have these short skirmish uh short skirmishes in between and then there's some procedural things that help figure out what happens in between and it's all pushing to establish kind of a, a, a narrative, a, a meta narrative that goes over in between each of the skirmishes. So it's kind of, it's kind of the same as some of the solo role-playing, but just coming from the opposite end of the spectrum. And I think that that's really cool. Um, you know, and so it lets you have, you know, instead of having more narrative focused mechanics, it has more of the, um, you know, the tactical combat mechanics and then everything else is more random tables and trimmed down. So you don't necessarily role play all the scenes, but I just think that's really cool. And there's like a cool um, convergence that's happening in that scene right now. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's super cool. I want to dig in and explore that more and see, you know, what happens if you mix and match those different arenas in different ways. Um, but yeah, just, just to come full circle. I, I think that that's super cool that the Durf room, it's kind of cool that Durf is so new and fresh feeling, but also, is it you know makes you think back to chain mail where the whole thing started that's such a cool 
weird thing where it's new and different and also not different at all. You know, I, I, I don't know. I think that that kind of a thing is cool. I'm very excited to try the In the Heart of the Oz. I actually was hoping to be able to do that for this session, but I haven't had enough time to play with the hex flower yet. I need to try it off of the air first, I think, um, because it's such a cool setting and such a cool concept, but because I've never done any of the hex flowers, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm needing to experiment with it off the air because I'm not confident enough to, to just try it right away. But it seems like a really cool thing that it is both procedural generation, but it also has a memory. That's just such a cool concept. And, and it seems like Goblin's Henchman is sort of the tops on that on that whole thing. So yeah, I'm really excited to try it. I will probably in this episode use some of the tables. There's some D200, it looks like, tables for certain things in here. And I'm sure that I'm using them the wrong way because I'm just going to be rolling on them for this particular session. But I'm hoping that soon I'll be able to use the actual hex flower approach. Um, but yeah, it's going to get zany and weird and hopefully awesome. So yeah, take care and we're going to get into the episode. So we're going to get back straight back into it. Uh, we're going to be using D&D 5e this session, along with our trusty, handy-dandy Mythic GM emulator. So we're going to go back to the setup that we had sort of at the beginning. Now, last time, Ferdinand and Thorin here uh, were... Uh, I don't know if they say they were spared from death, but they are not completely destroyed as they're in this weird bubble plane created by uh, the Death Mage from before. Uh, so being brought here is what has staved them off from sort of sort of being sent to either a death plane or or you know whatever whatever the afterlife in this version of the world looks like. They fortunately have been spared from that. However, they are aware, or at least Ferdinand is aware, that they do not have control of their souls at the moment. So if this realm, which seems to be unstable now that the, the mage at least seems to be, if not dead, something weird has happened um, since he was pushed into that cauldron. We're not exactly sure his fate, so we may find that out. Uh, maybe he's dead, maybe he's being turned into something horrible, I, I don't know. But either way, uh, due to that happening, uh, they're not out of the woods yet, as this realm of his has become unstable. If it were to pop while they're in here, that would probably spell the end for them, so uh, things are a bit urgent. Uh, so they need to regain their souls, and they need to get the heck out of here. So. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, you may have skipped to here. So we're, in addition to using 5e, I've leveled up Thorin to uh, level 3. That's where he would have been no matter which game system we were using. He was level 2 before, and now he's level 3. Um, due to the nature of this game, I'm not making any adjustments for health, uh, since it's a little bit more survivable. I'm uh, not making any adjustments for health. Uh, health. I will mention, uh, as an aside, for any of the times in the podcast where I've used OSR games before, with a single character, which has been super deadly, uh, I've uh, since discovered the uh, free part of the Scarlet Heroes game, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's uh, the solo rules from Scarlet Heroes by Kevin Crawford, and it's got some cool ideas for making OSR games more survivable, so I may use that potentially in the future. 5e is already survivable enough for me, uh, so we're going to stick with that. I've just arbitrarily pretty much given Ferdinand 13. Um, for his stats, uh, I know he's some sort of magician, but I don't feel like tracking spells or anything for him at the moment. Uh, there are also there are also sidekick rules for 5e that I haven't bothered to read. You could probably use those. I think they're the starter kit. It's probably awesome. 
I think those are used in the DM yourself, which I don't have, but it is a supplement. So if you're looking around for that sort of a thing, there you go. Here, I'm just giving him, because I don't feel like tracking him, uh, tens across the board, so no modifiers of any kind, uh, and 13 health. Um, his arcane knowledge will be more or less, um, yeah, more or less just useful in, I, I don't know, being able to, you know, being as an academic, I guess. Um, so there's that. Um, yeah, any other... I don't think there's really any other bookkeeping. I have ramped up the Chaos Factor since last time we played was 5 uh, with Mythic, and that was a long, long time ago at this point. I've ramped it up to 7 because things are crazy and they're super out of control, and I want it to be a little chaotic. So 7 is where we're currently at. The current thread and the beginning of the scenes, they need to regain their souls and escape. So the scene now uh, is them uh, trying to locate their souls. So we're going to just dive straight into it. Uh, one more brief aside, uh, don't feel anybody listening if you're interested in solo playing, you've made it all the way here, and you have 5e or really any game, and you don't feel like buying an oracle, you don't necessarily need one. I contemplated for 5e, you can just mimic the game's mechanics, right? So for 5e, I thought about just having, okay, you know, it's just going to be, you know, yes or no answers with a DC 10, and if it's more likely then you can make it change, either change the DC or give you advantage or disadvantage, however you want to do it for the odds that you want to change it. Um, and that's a super quick, easy way to get into it. Uh, there's plenty of other ways to do it. You could also say that you need to roll uh, a four or higher to get the answer you, you're looking for, and the likelihood starts with a D4 and then goes to a D6, D8, and so on. Um, so yeah, a bunch of different ways to do that. Okay, uh, so we're going to get into it. Um, I've also, uh, the last part of book, the bookkeeping I haven't said yet is, so now level three in 5e, I have, I have and will be using stuff from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and Xanathar's Guide, and so I have picked, which I believe it's from Tasha's Cauldron, the, uh, primal path. So barbarians get the sort of these various paths, and the one I have that I figured was fitting since I'm in this weird magical plane is Path of Wild Magic. So I get two features for that at level three. Uh, which is uh, Wild Surge, which we'll, we'll get into if we get into it, but basically going into a rage or just, you know, triggering this can cause unpredictable magical behaviors that I get to roll on on a random table, and that sounds cool, especially for solo play. Uh, and then Magic Awareness, where I, in certain circumstances I can be aware of magic that's going on. Uh, I, I read this quickly, I don't feel like tracking a ton of stuff. Uh, I think that's something important to keep in mind is that it's not like when you're a player with other people. When you're playing solo, you can pay attention to as much or as little as you want as long as you are being consistent with the way that you want to run the game. Um, so don't be, you know, worried if you forget exactly what something does, you can look it up. Um, also, one of the, the advantages here is that um, I have lots of random tables, so if you've got 5e and you're interested in solo and you need a little bit more creative prompting, you've actually got a wealth of stuff in various 5e books. The DM's guide is actually really good for that kind of stuff. I haven't used it on the air for that as much. I'm hoping to be able to showcase that when it comes up, but there's a bunch of random tables. You could generate a villain and generate what, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Generate a dungeon, generate what's in the dungeon. There's actually a ton of random tables in there and that's really good for solo. So a lot, at least in my opinion, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, there's also some cool stuff in Xanathar's guide for encounters. I've even used it in my regular 5e campaign. Um, the, the kind of encounters, uh, that are per, you know, environment and level group, and I may use that on here. So yeah, all kinds of good stuff for soloing it, especially in Xanathar's and the DM's guide. Uh, plus remember, you can always just like 
okay, yeah, I, I encountered, due to my oracle, whatever it is, I've encountered some sort of a challenger monster, just pick something that sounds cool, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, there we go. Let's get into it. I also get a reckless attack, it can be reckless. We'll, we'll get into that if it comes up. All right, so first things first, we need to roll our D10, uh, see if it's under a chaos factor, see if the scene gets interrupted as we're trying to find the location of our souls, whatever that exactly entails. Okay, we rolled a six. Um, which means a few things. So one, um, in this case, this is the one time I forgot, I have not forgotten that evens are random events and odds, you know, I always forget that, but for some reason I remember today. So cool, it's under our chaos factor and it's an even number, which means it is a random event. So we're gonna roll on the event focus table. We get a 92, which is NPC negative. All right, well, let's see what kind of NPCs we've got. We've got the Death Knight, and we've got, uh, let's see, well, Ferdinand is an NPC, and we've, oh man, we've really got Capo uh, and Seppo and Armis are back in the, um, all the way back in just a whole another plane of existence, so really, I don't think they're going to have any, well, we'll see, I don't, I don't think they're going to have anything to do with it, because it doesn't, it's not a remote event, meaning it's happening far off, so I think it's got to happen here. So really, it's just going to either be, I think, Ferdinand or the Death Mage. So 50-50, high-low on the D100s here, Ferdinand is going to be low. We get a 38, so it's something about Ferdinand, and it's negative. So there's some sort of event that with uh, happens with Ferdinand that's a negative. I'm going to roll in the action subject table to get more information. 24, which gives us... Uh, desert, or probably dessert, um, it's an action. Dessert, 37, dessert business. Dessert business, uh, hmm. Well, yeah, okay, so I think, I think kind of what's happening here is that, um, okay, we're two things. So Ferdinand is, he just starts laughing maniacally. <laughs> and Thorin is obviously made very uncomfortable. Yes, you, the listener, are probably very uncomfortable. Um, he starts laughing maniacally, and he, Thorin notices kind of a, a weird look in his eye. I think that the this plane has and his separation from reality is starting to take a toll. And as we've noticed before, there is a. Um, there is a weird relationship between the Death Knight and Ferdinand because Ferdinand got his power from the Death Knight. It turns out the Death Knight was manipulating him the whole time. Um, so here's the question. I have a couple ideas of what could be happening here. One of them is, uh, so I don't think he has control of his magic now. He may be losing his mind um, and it may be being taken over. So I wanna know if it's just like, I want it, something is taking him over for sure. What I wanna know is, is it the Death Knight from beyond the grave, or the beyond the melting cauldron of whatever magic acid, um, or not. So uh, we're gonna say it's 50-50, uh, which on a chaos factor seven means 75% chance. I know that bothers some people. Again, it doesn't bother me. Um, so yeah, is it, I'm gonna ask, is it the death knight? And if it's not, it's gonna be some extra planar being that's something else that's new. So is it the death knight? Two. Okay, uh, so it is the Death Knight, and it's an extreme yes. So what that means to me here then is that 
An extreme, yes. I was gonna actually set a, a duration of, roughly speaking, turns. Um, for some definition, turns. Until that transformation is permanent. Um, but I think that if it's an extreme, yes, it's the Death Knight taking over. Uh, he may have just... He may have just taken Ferdinand over. Um, yeah, and so I don't know if it's going to get to combat just yet. Ferdinand, man, that might be rip for Ferdinand, honestly. Um, so I think Thorin sees this. Maybe there's a way to reverse it later, but he's got to take off. So he takes off running down the hall. Um, whew, yeah, okay. That is not a great interrupt, so we need to find... Thorin at least needs to find his soul. He needs to get out of here. If he can find Ferdinand's and it's still intact, maybe he can use it to oust the Death Knight from Ferdinand. Uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, yeah, I don't know what that looks like. Everything's going to be super weird here. So he's just got to run. He's just got to run, and he's, he runs as far as he can. Um, starting to feel the grief already of losing, really, the first friend he's had in a while as these events have gone down, and... Descending further into sort of the dungeon here in this in this planar bubble, and as Ferdinand descends further and further into madness. Okay, so he's gonna run off. What I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna um, pull out some guides from Xanathar's for um, some sort of encounter table that probably makes sense for this location. And I will use that. Um, it's gonna obviously be low-level encounters. Anything will be dangerous since I'm on my own. Um, and since I have a habit of killing all of my characters constantly in this game, uh, they this death will not be able to have such an outcome as it was here. It was only because the Death Knight spared him in this case that he was able to make it out of death this time. So death now would be would be truly the end for Thorin. Um, I guess we're probably I'm probably going to use probably under dark encounters from Xanathar's for when I have uh, an encounter. And so what I'm going to do I think is I'm going to. Um, randomly generate, uh, I guess, some of these turns. I'm going to have um, Thorin look for stuff, and I'm going to have um, see if he can find his, uh, his soul, and see if he can find some other stuff. So we're going to go and just going to generate it this way. I could take a randomly generated dungeon. I thought about doing that and, and putting some stuff in here, but we're just going to play it more theater of the mind for the podcast, especially since podcast isn't a visual medium anyway. So he starts running down the hall. Alright, what I need to know is... Um, Really, each of these turns, he's going to be looking for evidence of, of where to find his soul. He's either going to find it or he's not, and there's going to be an encounter or there's not. So there's two separate tracks. So the encounter track, I'm going to do a 1 in D6. This is a pretty OSR chance, but I'm going to do a 1 in D6 chance um, per sort of searching turn. As he's running, um, Ferdinand still consumed in, in rapturous laughter. I don't know how that long that will be. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to use from other games mechanics, I'm going to borrow a usage die to add a lot of chaos to when Ferdinand's transformation is going to, uh, or when he's going to catch up, potentially fight me um, as being possessed by the Death Mage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set a, um, a D8 usage die that I'm going to roll each turn as well. So here's how usage die works. I'm going to roll the D8 and for the purposes of this, anytime on any of these dice I roll a 1 or a 2, it's going to get demoted. So a D8 will go to a D6 d6 to d4 and when the d4 runs out time is run out um, so it's going to get quicker and quicker as it goes down so that's how we're going to use that 
So, uh, yeah, so D8 usage die, D6 encounter die, and then in order for me to find stuff, I'm going to use some skill checks on here uh, in D8D5E. So I'm gonna use, um, I guess, investigation. So I'm gonna, which I don't have a proficiency in or anything like that. Um, and I never remember if investigation is intelligence um, or wisdom based. Okay, yeah, it's it's wisdom, or I mean, it's intelligence, sorry. I don't usually have to look it up because I have a screen that has that stuff on there because I'm lazy. Um, I think an Arcana check would also be possible, but I definitely, I'm not even going to attempt that because this path of wild magic is going to be latent in my case. Um, and I, I could just say like, oh yeah, I'm level three, I use it, but I don't want to use it yet. Like I want that to show up when it makes sense to show up. Um, cause it's going to be a surprise to Thorin, I think. Um, so yeah, we're going to just go investigation. That's intelligence. That is not exactly Thorin's thing. He has a minus one. And I'm gonna set a DC 12 to find um, any clues, and I think once I find the third clue, I'll find my soul. So I'm gonna count down with a D6. All right, so I'm gonna roll these three dice at once. Um, all right, so first turn. Okay, roll five, which is terrible, on the D20, which means that I don't find any evidence of anything. Um, it's a D8, so there's no countdown, Ferdinand's still doing his thing, there's no encounter. Um, so he, yeah, he goes, finds it, it's really just like a hallway between two rooms, uh, one with a staircase descending down, and one that goes through the hallway. Um, descending down seems really dangerous, but I think Thorne's gotta take that risk, he's just gotta do it, uh, as he gets further and deeper, maybe, I, I don't know what he's thinking, it's just, I don't think that he is thinking, I think he's just going on impulse. Um, so, alright, so yeah, next turn. Okay, we got a 1 on the D8 die on Ferdinand's die, so that's now a D6 on that. Uh, I got a 16 on the D20, which uh, even with my minus 1, 15 is, is, is enough to find a clue. So I found one of the clues to where my soul is. Uh, as he runs by, he sees there's sort of some residual energy. Um, he can't see it so much as he feels it. Like It's like he feels like a part of himself. Like kind of when you rediscover an old hobby, that feeling that... You're finding almost like a piece of yourself that you didn't realize you were missing, and you've kind of kind of glom onto it, and you, f you follow that feeling. And so he's literally following that, um, and then there's no encounter time. Um, so, yeah, we're good there. Uh, so the next turn, as he descends further, and he's he's on this level now, it's starting to open up into a large cavern. There's always all kinds of stalactites and stalagmites. There's weird colors starting to emerge. Maybe they're spirits, maybe they're just strange magical mists. Things are starting to get real weird down here real fast. Um, and I think some of the stalactites are starting to um, like fade in and out of reality. Like they swap around. I think the reality is already starting to become unstable here. Okay, next turn. Uh, that's only a, t a total of 10 on the D20. So that's no good for, um, for finding another clue. We get a one on the encounter dice. We are going to encounter something here. Uh, and it's a six on Ferdinand's dice. So he's still doing his thing, it's not ticking down. So we're gonna roll on the Underdark Encounters uh, here, which is a D100 in Xanathar's Guide, uh, levels one through four. These will all be pretty dangerous, just being by myself anyways, even at level three. Okay, D100, that is a four, which is probably lucky for me. So there's some giant fire beetles, there's 2D4 of them, um, which I'm not gonna do I'm not going to do that, and I'm just going to do one of them, since it's just me by myself. So, let's get out the monster manual here. We're going to get into some combat with a giant fire beetle. This should hopefully be a 
quick combat, but it does make me it's gonna make me lose some um, some valuable time for sure. Alright. Giant fire beetle. Yeah, it's been a long time since we had some some good old 5e combat. Alright. So I'm gonna roll our initiatives simultaneously. I thought about using a house rule I've given to other people, which is that you use um, 10 plus the dexterity modifier of the uh, of either the creature or the the highest level creature, um, however you want to do it. And then the, if you make a dexterity check, and if you get higher, you go before. And if you fail the dexterity check, you go after the monsters, all of them. Um, and I I know there's people who've picked up on that and liked that. Um, my group doesn't particularly do that, but. I thought about doing it on the show, but I'm just going to try to keep it rules as written as much as possible so I don't confuse everybody. Um, so, initiative here, uh, I am on a 3, and the giant fire beetle is on a 16, which means the fire beetle goes first. Okay, so yeah, all of a sudden, uh, running down the hallway, kind of following myself, not really paying attention, all of a sudden, startled to see that there's a giant fire beetle. Um, but something's weird with it, for sure. It's, it's like morphing colors in and out. Uh, it's starting to look pretty strange, and it like emits a little bit of fire. That the fire also changes color, uh, and it, it weaves in and out of reds and purples and oranges. It's just blues, greens. It's just all over the place. The, this whole reality is in flux. Okay, I'm always going to use the average hit points, by the way, in the monster manual. I never roll. I never ever in 5e roll the hit points. I just use the number there because it's quicker. So that. Okay. Um, Right, so we're lucky this is one of the, the easier encounters we can get. So uh, the Fire Beetle's gonna try to attack first. Uh, it looks like it makes a melee weapon to attack, plus one to hit, uh, which gets it a total of 11, which is just below my natural AC of 12. So it goes it goes to bite, but it just can't get through my, my tough barbarian biceps, I guess. So there's that element of it. Okay, I don't think it's rage time yet either. That's what triggers the, uh, the wild surge. So basically, anytime I enter a rage, weird magic stuff happens, which is cool. But I don't think it's time for a rage yet. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm just gonna try to end this quickly. So I think I'm just gonna wreck. I'm and I'm in a hurry, so I think I'm just gonna recklessly attack, which means in this case that I'm going to. It's my first attack and it's reckless. I'm gonna um, have advantage on this, but the fire beetle will also have advantage uh, against me on its next attack here. So that is that. So I'm gonna attack here with advantage. Uh, let's see. It's been it's been a hot minute. Um, I've definitely yeah. So we'll we'll get into it. All right. So I rolled definitely a 16. It's definitely going to be high enough anyways. But just to go through the exercise real quick, 16 plus my strength modifier of four is 20. Plus I'm proficient in the uh, the great sword that I'm using. So I that's another two. So 22 to hit, which is definitely enough. Okay. So we're going to roll my damage for my great sword, which is 2d6. Okay, yeah, six damage, that's enough to, to destroy the fire beetle. I just like, exasperated, like, I don't I don't have time for this. And just take the, the sword and just bring it right through, cracking through the chitinous shell of the fire beetle, cracking it right in half. Um, it oozes, this kind, it's kind of like fire blood into the floor and like acid, it melts away, revealing whatever the ground is below. This, this reality is starting to decay pretty hard. It's, it's time to keep moving and to get out of here. Okay, we're on to the, so the, that combat's over, we're on to the next turn, I'm obviously going to um, not worry about divvying up experience because I've been doing milestones basically anyway, so, okay, so the next exploration turn here, 
Okay, so it's not great for anyone or anything, um, which is classic me. So there's another encounter. The uh, Ferdinand's transformation is getting even closer. He's down to a D4, which means it's going to be 50-50 chance um, of, of, this, of him catching up and, and doing something to me. And then I don't discover, because I rolled a three, which is a total of two for me, uh, for an investigation, I don't find any any sign of, of anything. Um, not able to figure out why certain areas, just I'm not being methodical enough. I need to be, but I'm not being methodical enough. So no clues discovered there. There is another encounter. Um, and now it'll probably, it'll probably be like, oh yeah, four black dragons take over with my luck. I mean, I know that can't really happen on this table, but, but with my luck, it can happen. Okay. Uh, Underdark Encounters. 83. Yeah, so that's definitely... They get more and more dangerous. This is not, not good, looking good for me already. 83. All right. I see. Okay. So it says 5d4 Duragar. I'm going to change the numbers of all the encounters because that is too many. Um... For, for one person. So I'm gonna say that there are two, and I'm just gonna arbitrarily decide. Um, there's no methodology there, uh, that's just what's happening. So there are two Duragar that come out, and I think they were they must have like been trapped here, because uh, they're wearing kind of the, um, they're wearing kind of the, the chains and stuff that I am as well. So they must have been imprisoned by the Death Mage for one reason or another, and they look particularly nasty. I, I don't know if they've managed to escape, or if they are under the control of the Death Mage or, or someone else, I, I don't know. Um, but they, all of a sudden they, they jump out of the path. Um, yeah, so I'm not gonna bother with surprise one way or the other, I don't think here. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna roll for the Duragar's initiative and we're roll for mine at the same time. All right, so I am on a 14 and they are on a seven. So I'm gonna go first here. All right. Uh, yeah, this is this is disconcerting. I, I just need to hurry before Fran, uh, before Ferdinand freaks out. I got to do this as quickly as possible. So I am gonna enter a rage, um, which I have written down. Fortunately, I write some of the stuff down. Which is great. Good job, past James, for once. Um, so I have advantage on um, strength checks and saves, uh, resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, slashing damage, melee damage bonus, which I have written down, uh, which is still plus two. Now, here's the fun thing, and Thorin doesn't know that this sort of, this wild magic thing has happened to him. It's just a result of being here and everything going super weird. As I enter this rage, so I'm mark down that I've got, or that I've used one of my three rages until I do a long rest. Um, so I roll on a d8. And that will determine what happens as I enter this rage. I'm just not having it with these Duragar right now. Two, you teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space you can see. Until your rage ends, you can use this effect again on each of your turns as a bonus action. Oh, that's so cool and weird. Okay, so because I am first on the initiative, so... Um, and let's see, I'm just, they're going to each have 26 health. Oof, okay. So they each have a little bit less, just slightly less than me. So I think I just, I'm able to, uh, so it teleports me up. I think I, I'm staring at the Duragar and I'm just thinking about hitting, slashing them. And so I think it just teleports me straight up to the Duragar. Um, and I'm just gonna try to uh, slash the one. I'm gonna go for broke and do it recklessly, reckless attack here. 
so I can get advantage. They will also have advantage in attacking me. Um, although I already have... I already have advantage on... Hmm, it doesn't say to hit, though. That would be a little crazy, even though it is kind of a strength check to hit. I don't think that counts to hit, so I'm going to rule that I can't do that as a bonus to hit. Somebody can correct me later if I'm wrong. I could look it up in the rules. I don't feel like it. So I'm just going to do the reckless attack. Yeah, there wouldn't be that if you were raging. So I'm going to recklessly attack. I have advantage here. Um, Alright, so that is with advantage. That is a... because I get 6 from modifiers. So 10... so 16 to hit, which is just enough to hit. So ties to hit, and so I'm going to attack one of the Duragar here. And that's 2d6 damage. Doing... I forgot to add my strength modifier last time, not that it mattered. So, four on the dice, plus four for my strength modifier is eight damage, um, plus my rage bonus damage, which is ten. So it's ten damage to the one Duragar. It's down to sixteen. Okay. So that's what happens. I am, I am next to them. I am in it. They have managed to hit me, though. So the first Duragar is going to attack uh, with, it looks like, um, the war pick, since I'm right next to them. They get a plus four to hit. So with advantage, that is a 17, which is plenty to hit me. Um, so he hits me with his war pick for 1d8 plus 1. Or 1d8 plus 2, sorry, piercing damage. So that's six, So it's 8 piercing damage. Um, and let's see, 8 piercing damage, but I am resistant, which means I take half of that. So 4 damage. So I take 4 damage. I'm down to 25 out of 29 hit points. Okay. The next Duragar is going to attack... It also has advantage. It's my reckless attack. Um, that's going to be uh, 18. That's plenty to hit. So 1d8 plus 2. So I take 5 um, divided by 2. Uh, we'll round down, I guess. Usually round down. So 2. So I'm going to take 2 um, damage here. So down to 23. I have 29 hit points. All right. Uh, so I think what I'm going to do now is I'm going to use, since I can use that effect once a turn, now that, like, Thorin feels kind of empowered and he feels kind of cheeky now, he hasn't had a good, like, good fight that's not terrifying um, in a while. I think he hasn't felt this alive, uh, and he hasn't raged since he attacked, I think, that um, wild beast in the desert. Um, and he feels a little bit more in control now. Something weird's happening, he's going to take advantage of it. So he's going to teleport back uh, 30 feet, and is going to throw one of his four javelins that I have written down here. Um, even though dexterity is not my thing. So, I'm going to um, not recklessly attack, I don't think, but I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to roll to hit with my, no, let's, actually, let's not do that. That doesn't sound like what Thorin would do. Um, I think he's just going to stay in the same place, really. He's just going to, he's just going to wail on the same, yeah, he's, he's raging. He's just going to wail on the same, I know it sounds boring, but you know what? He's going to wail on the same Duragar, because that's, that's just what he's doing. He's just got to take his rage out on these Duragar, and he's definitely going to recklessly attack again. Uh, so it's a 15, yeah, that's, oh, man, with all the bonuses, that's plenty. Uh, 21 to hit. It's definitely enough to hit. Uh, 2d6 with the great sword. All right, so that's 7 on the die, plus 4 for modifiers, that's 11. Plus two from the melee bonus, that's 13. Brings him down to three damage. Oof. We'll make something of a morale check, I think, for them in a minute. I don't remember if there's a really a morale thing in 5e, but I'll I'll, I'll just make one in a bit. Okay. Um, the second Duragar, though, um, is still unscathed. So they're going to attack back. The Duragar have advantage now because of the reckless attack. 
um, with advantage that only comes down to or that comes down to a 13, which is enough to hit. One d8 uh, plus two, so a three rounded down. So it's just one damage. Uh, at this point, it's just <laughs> Thorns just laughing like, <laughs> "Is that the best you've got, Duragar?" <laughs> the other one attacks like. Um, I think Thangar is starting to lose. Uh, Thorin is starting to lose to Thangar. I think it's from Tale of the Manticore. Great show. Listen to it. Okay, Thorin <laughs> uh, is getting attacked by the other Dorgar now. Um, that is a 10 plus uh, 4, so that is enough to hit. D8 plus 2, which is a total of 5, rounded down, 3 damage, so 19 out of 29. Alright. Yeah, I think. Um, I think Thorin is... Oh man, I also should probably figure out how long rages last, because I don't remember. It's been so long. Okay, yeah, it's one minute, which is... Is it six seconds per... So it's ten combat rounds. I think we've only done... I think we're on number three. I'm trying to go with another die. Alright. Here we go. Alright. So, damn, that's not good for them. So now it's, up to, it's back up to me. Let's see, do I I think I'm not going to attack recklessly this time. I think as Thorn is starting to um, come to his senses a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're just going to go for it. Keep combat moving quickly. Roll a nine, uh, which plus my million things. That may not be that may not be enough actually, because I've got uh, plus two proficiency bonus, plus four, six. Yeah, this just short, uh, so he's not quite able to hit. Um, now that he's not acting as recklessly is trying to be more calculated uh, but it just hits the Duragar's armor uh, Thorne's not able to since he's not using that primal instinct as much he's not able to get through the weak spot of the Duragar's armor okay, they don't have advantage either so the first one's attack uh, is enough it does 1d8 plus 2 and halved which is another 5 which um, or no this is 4 which is 2 so 17 out of 29 hit points the other Duragar attacks 11 is going to be enough. Um, only doing one damage, so I'm down to 16 out of 29. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Thorn, I think, is going to have to go back to recklessly attacking. I, yeah, definitely. So. Um, yeah. So, we've got advantage now. Okay, yeah, it's definitely 15 on the die. It's definitely enough to get hit. 2d6 plus my bonuses. Um, all of which total again back up to six bonuses. So I've got six on the die, so 12. So I'm able to completely just sever the head of the one Duragar. The other one's still unscathed, uh, but he's looking at me and he's lost a uh, counterpart. Uh, I don't remember if there's a really a morale check necessarily, um, but I think that um, after seeing, like, seeing me chop the head clean off of the other Duragar, I think there's some chance that he's going to flee. I'm just going to use Mythic for it, um, since I can't think of a rule from 5e right off the top. I'll just default to Mythic when I can't think of mechanics that make sense there. Um, so, I, I think as well, you know, because he's seeing, like, seeing this guy, like, teleport as well. He's seen Thorin teleport. So, is he going to run away? I'm going to say it's, I'm going to say it's unlikely. Even very unlikely. I, no, I'll just say it's unlikely, because I don't think he knows where he would even go. Um, so, unlikely, Chaos Factor 7. Uh, it's a three, so he he does run away, um, and it's an extreme yes. Um, so yeah, I mean he just runs away terrified. I think he even like he drops his hammer, and he just he just runs. 
Um, and I think because it's an extreme yes, which is un really unlikely, I'm going to rule that he, since I didn't find a clue before, I, I'm going to rule that he drops a clue. So I've now gotten two of the clues. Like, I, he has shown me, like, he has something that relates to my soul on on the body of this other one. It's part of this hammer, actually. And you can tell, like, he's trying to almost, like, you know, like, it's almost like a scent, but it's in a weird spiritual way. He's trying to follow the scent. Um, and this hammer has come from close to wherever he needs to go. So he knows he's on the right track. So that's the next clue. All right, we're on to the next round. Uh, Thorn has defi definitely taken a beating. Um, for sure. I don't think there's really time to do any resting here. Um, so we're just gonna press on because things are just too too tense to to be doing short rests or anything like that. Okay. So uh, let's grab my. We run onto a d6. We're gonna look for the last clue to find the last place for the next turn here. Okay, we've got a six on the encounter die and the. Um, uh, Ferdinand's die, so nothing happens there. Uh, yeah, we got we got some devil numbers here. We got 666, actually. Six even on the D20. It's just not going to be enough for the DC12 for me to find a clue. Um, but he's got to follow his instincts. He still, follow, still keeps following the cave. I think the cave at this point is starting to turn into uh, carved-out hallways again. So he knows, again, he's headed in the right way. There's still a strange glow coming from this way. So it's, it's got to be the right direction. He's just not there yet. All right, next turn here. Okay. Uh, only thing here to happen is that there's a, there I, he is able to find uh, where his soul is, um, and I think what we'll do uh, because I want to be able to showcase this I think for people interested in playing solo with 5e, I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna generate some of the stuff that's in this room uh, and what it looks like what the room is like where he finds his soul. We're gonna make it a little bit more random um, than I always do. Okay, so I'm going to roll in two tables here, because uh, you can totally generate dungeons from the DM's guide. Um, I, despite what, you know, everybody has all their different opinions. I personally like the 5e DM's guide. I mean, it taught me how to run games, to be honest. Um, along with all the podcasts and stuff I've listened to. So, I, you know, everything I've absorbed. But to, to be honest, like, I think it gave me a, a good starting point. We started having fun pretty much from the beginning when we started playing 5e, I think. So, um, I've hopefully gotten a lot better since then, but I think it's good. So, yeah, there's that. I think I was upset at first because I was like, oh, there's no monsters in here. I didn't realize about the monster manual part. And so I got the monster manual and I had the player's handbook. And that's really what we needed to get going. But as we, you know, we're on like our third session, then I started digging into the DM's guide to generate content and, and other stuff like that. So I, I, I personally really like it. Okay, we're going to generate the size. That's a d20 roll. The size of the room. It's fairly big. It's a rectangle that's 40 by 50 feet long. Um, we're going to see kind of what's in here. Uh, oh, yeah, we should see how many exits are from this room if it comes up. Uh, 17. There are three exits. All right. Um, there you can, there's even things for stairs. That's kind of cool. Um, all right, so there's different dungeon tables, D100 dungeon tables, for the purpose of a room based on what kind it is. We're going to call this the planar gate. Uh, well... Lair is, is also probably good, but I want it to be... Mm, yeah, looking at the, the, the things real quick. Planar Gate, I don't think it's quite the right thing. We're going to go with Lair. Um, with the Lair type, dungeon type. That's a D20, actually, in this one. For the Lair, six, it's a chapel where the Lair's inhabitants worship. Yeah, so I think there's these weird beings in here. Um, we're talking like almost kind of Cthulhu stuff, like strange, grotesque statues that, that make very little sense. And the colors... 
that we're starting to see before, they're all emanating from here. There's almost like a colored mist coming from here. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps the Death Mage is really more of a Death Warlock, and he's made a pact with um, some, some creatures that are, are now about ready to collect as things have, um, have slipped from his grasp and, and they suffer no fools. Um, or perhaps it's just the chaos of his time is up or, or any number of reasons. Okay. We are also, there's, there's all kinds of other stuff in here, but I decided to go with that one. Um, the chamber's current state, we'll roll randomly, why not, uh, is on, uh, nine. Um, so it's been used as a campsite. So I think that uh, the Duragar were probably living in here. Um, and when things started to go haywire and all this mist started coming out, they were probably freaking out. Um, and then we need to see what else is in here. There's some encounter stuff for like whether monsters and stuff are in there. I've already handled that with a different kind of encounter die. Um, but so my soul is there. What I need to know is really is it trapped? Um, and so we could use from here perhaps the, um, you know, if the room is trapped. So I'm going to roll on the D100 chamber contents. I'm going to ignore any monster things, but I'm gonna, if there's a trap result that comes up, we will use that. Um, 48. Uh, it says on 48, the monster. So no, there's monster. This is with treasure and the treasure we're going to read here for the result for that is just that it is Thorin's soul. He kind of looks around uh, and actually he's a dangerous sense anyways. He has advantage to check for that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, but I'm not going to bother rolling it because we know it's not there, but he, he looks around to see if the thing is trapped, assuming that it must be, but probably in the hubris of the death knight, he hasn't sufficiently guarded everything down here. So Thorn picks up this orb and he starts to feel, it looks like a, almost like a crystal ball, but with weird color shaping through that kind of like a bluish hue. And he picks it up and it starts to like, almost like those like grenade cannonball things from Star Wars Phantom Menace. Um, which I granted, I know it means I lose all of my nerd points for referencing one of the, anyway, one of the Star Wars movies. It's not as good. Anyway, so, um, uh, he picks up the orb and it starts to like melt in his hands, go up his arms until it, it kind of disappears and it translucents. Uh, and then it, 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 sh it shapes to him and he feels his soul return to his body. He is whole again. Now he just needs to GTFO. <laughs> he just needs to get out of here. Um, so yes, that is what is with that. Now, we're not going to have to roll for the other checks, but we are going to have to roll for Ferdinand's, um, and we're going to change the DC, I think, to just get out of here. Um, there's probably something with one of these shrines, I think, that he can do. Um, you know what, I think that this latent wild magic that has occurred to him is starting to take over. He's not even thinking about it. I, here's how it's going to work, I think. He is performing a ritual that the the seer at the very beginning of this season, Armis, was performing. Um, he cuts his, his hand a little bit with this great sword, and he starts to drag the great sword with the blood around, making a large circle. He's going to be performing some sort of a ritual casting magic. Um, to be clear, I'm not trying to op I'm not opening the gateway that he knows how to do this in any other circumstances. It's not like he knows a spell that he can ritually cast later necessarily I think that the heightened nature of this plane um, and everything going on the, the 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 unholy idols in this room everything going on this is just kind of taking over as he's still coming down from being raging and I think um, he's sort of 
he's going to open a, a gate back to where he's from. Um, again, not really thinking about it. He couldn't do it again probably if he tried. It's going to take some time though, and I'm going to rule that it's going to take some more of these turns, and I'm going to rule that it's going to take a d4 amount more of these turns for this to happen. Okay, so it's just a one. So it's going to take one of these turns, and what we need to know now is is this well the Eustace die won't be able to run out so Ferdinand won't be able to be fully down here but we're gonna roll the encounter die just one more time and if it ends up with being a one we're probably gonna have a crazy crazy encounter either on this side or the next here goes the d6 roll of course it's a one which means we have some sort of weird crazy encounter okay now, what I don't know, because encounter doesn't have to mean monster, it could mean Ferdinand coming back, so we gotta ask some questions of Mythic. It could be a monster, it could be one of these extra planar beings. Um, Ferdinand hasn't f fully transformed yet. We are gonna roll, actually, to see if he would do it on the other side if he is fully taken over. Um, so his d6, that's a three, so yeah, he's still himself. We need to know if he shows up now, uh, as Thorn is about to open this gateway. I'm gonna say there's, it's it's very unlikely, which on the Chaos Factor 7 actually means it's a 50% chance, but it's very unlikely that, that Ferdinand shows up just now, but it's possible. Does Ferdinand show up right now? Is that the encounter? 44, yes. Um, so Ferdinand shows up. I wanna know if it's an and though, because I didn't need to make those ex mutually exclusive. So Ferdinand all of a sudden shows up struggling to to hold on to his right mind. So you can see half of his face looks like he's got sort of the crazy eyes. It's wide open, um, almost as if that side of the, his face is aged. The other side looks normal like to Ferdinand, but, but just exasperated as he stumbles into the room, grasping onto the archway of, the, of entering the room, barely able to stand up as he's being slowly taken over by uh, the, the death mage here. Uh, so what I need to know now is, does him being in this room with his statues as Thorne is casting this, opening this plane, which could be dangerous, maybe one of these other planar beings is going to take advantage of it, I don't know. I need to know if there's an interaction with these unholy idols, with the Death Mage and Ferdinand, all this going on. Is there some element of that to the encounter? I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's unlikely, but if it's possible. Unlikely? 32. So, Yes. Um, there is some sort of strange interaction. Um, I'm gonna ask one more question, I think. I wanna know, well, actually, you know what? I was gonna ask yes or no, but let's not do that. Let's ask an action and subject. So what kind of encounter with them is it? 15, gratify, 45, gratify, illness. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think that, um, Oh man, I think that's bad. I think one of the unholy idols starts to vibrate and starts to light up as it absorbs some of the mist back in. And I think we hear unspeakable language, unrepeatable language. Uh, it, it barely even sticks in Thorin's mind, nearly driving him mad as he continues to open this rift. I think that due to whatever deal that the Death Mage must have made with Ferdinand here, um, I think it's coming to fruition, and Thorin's 
body that's kind of m m missing his soul. His soul is probably still in this room as well. And it starts to uh, come out of the other statue uh, where it was. It gets absorbed into this statue. And you see the half of Ferdinand's body that was being controlled by him slowly start to fade away. And all we're left with is this death knight. I think that Thorin, at this point, has just finished the ritual casting for his portal. He looks back and sees what's happened, sheds one tear, and then goes into an absolute rage. If Ferdinand is gone, this thing is not making it through. So I think what we're going to do is have a quick round of combat here. Ferdinand only had 13 health that I gave him and he had very average stats and knew no spells. The Death Mage may know spells, but he's just taken over this body. So he wasn't we won't have had time to memorize anything um, in this in this new body, in this new mind. So he's not gonna have spells. Um and man, oh man, Thorn is so angry. He's definitely gonna burn up one of his rages for this. Um, let's get into it. Yeah, initiative. Thorn is on a nine. Uh, yeah, the the death mage in the body of Ferdinand here rolled a nat one. So it's gonna go second. And for a natural one, I'm gonna say that as he's in the middle of the beam, um, you know, and Thorn has been, you know, making this ritual circle. I'm actually gonna give him a surprise round then because he just he he's looking at the portal as he's doing this, not looking at the death knight. Sheds the tear. Looks around. This all happens in a moment. Um, and he's just gonna sh strike out, um, surprising the, the death mage who's still at the moment tied up with this, whatever this great extra-worldly magic that the, this, this being is doing as it's finishing and stilling the, dark, the death knight. So Thorne's gonna actually get a surprise round. Um, yep. And he's going, so he's raging and he's gonna recklessly attack this monstrosity. Um, yeah, so with advantage, that is just absurdly that's just enough <laughs> it's it's more than enough uh 2d6 damage all right that's eight on the dice plus the four from the strength bonus plus the melee bonus uh is a total uh let's see here of um 14 which uh i you know randomly fairly arbitrarily said at the beginning of the session that ferdinand had 13 health and i had that written down so this is enough to to kill him so the Death Knight looks in this maniacal laugh as he cackles again, as he's encapsulated in this, like, yellow, bright yellow, like, uh, I'm thinking, like, neon, ridiculously bright, vibrant yellow mist that is encapsulating him and the statue of this, um, this horrifying being. Thorin looks at him, this, the, you know, of course, the single tear still dripping down, and says, I'm sorry, my friend that I couldn't save you. But I won't let this enter our world again. And he pulls out his great sword, swings it around, and chops the the head off of Ferdinand, slicing down diagonally through the shoulder, taking off the head and the shoulder completely. And in the same motion, uh, he, he swipes down, and he flicks the blood off into the middle of the rune circle, that he was carving with his sword before, and as the bloods have mingled, a portal now opens, and um, 
Thorin steps backwards through, still staring at the, at the carnage. And I think that's where we're going to end today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I explained a lot of extra stuff that I was doing this time. Um, hopefully that was useful and helpful to you. If not, let me know. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining. Again, uh, this is just a labor of love for me. So like the call-ins from Jason before in the email... I, I just really want to say that I, I really appreciate when people are enjoying the show. That's why I do it. That's why I bother recording it. Um, so if you're enjoying it, please uh, either send me an email or drop me a, a file if you'd like, like an audio file if you'd like to call in that way. You can call in through the Anchor app. Uh, if you enjoy the show and you wouldn't mind rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to uh, listen to this podcast, it would really, really help. Uh, I'm bad about checking all of those places, so you can also email me and say, hey, I left a review, because I'll try to thank you on the air and, um, and acknowledge your review. Whether it's good or bad, <laughs> I'll thank you for it anyway. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another thing. And if you think somebody would enjoy the show and get something out of it, uh, then feel free to recommend it to a friend. Uh, it's just an always free show that I make because I enjoy it, um, and I'm glad that other people in some other way can enjoy this strange thing that I do, where I talk to myself and I roll pieces of plastic. <laughs> So thanks again, take care, and I'll hopefully see you all very soon.